We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. In five, four, three. And we are live. We might have. We might have picked up everything I was saying before that. Not sure. But we're back, people. What is up? Yeah. Anything uh, Anything interesting happen on your end? I'm still just getting ready for the fourth, recovering from COVID. I, I've been trying to be more of a morning person the last couple of days. I've been waking up at about six and actually going to the gym every day. Oh, yeah? Uh, that was going to be my first topic was today. So it has been storming like crazy, just typical floor stuff here during the mornings. Mm-hmm. And um, I get done with Starbucks today, get my coffee, get back onto the road. And about 30 yards, I would say, lightning struck a building or struck a pole or something behind me. I couldn't see what it actually had hit, but everything went like, have you been really close to lightning when it hits? Not that close, no. Oh, well, it's, it's weird because it's like... There's two colors that you see. There's a giant flash and then purple. You see, like, purple around the giant flash. Mm-hmm. And everything just goes white for a second. Damn. Like, it's really strange. And a car alarms were going off everywhere because that Starbucks is close to a target. So right. every car alarm that was set to go off if, like, something hits it or something like that was going off. It was, like, 12 or so alarms just all going off at the same time. And it's just some scary shit. Interesting. You weren't, you weren't standing up under a tree. I was in a car. I was driving. Damn. Yeah. Have you ever like seen I, the videos of the people up under the tree? When it gets uh, I have not seen the videos. I assume uh, they just die. Yeah, they just all fall over because they're like standing oh under God. the tree. Lightning hits the tree, and then they just mm-hmm. plop over. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, there was a person uh, down the road where I live at where they had uh, died because of that. They had, like, a swing or something, a large oak tree, and it's, like, the only large oak tree in a little little area. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, once it was stormed and they waited underneath the tree, they just died underneath that shit. Damn. It was, uh, I mean, it, and you know it's bad when it goes, like, his behind you and you still just can't see in front of you somehow. I don't understand how the how it's that bright for it to work like that, but right, it was pretty cool. And it would have been terrible if I would have died. Hopefully, my phone would have fried because I was listening to our earlier podcast oh, to yeah. make sure that how we sounded. So they would have just found somebody listening to themselves talk in their car. Embarrassing, for sure. It is embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, and I probably That's... would have shit myself. That's like going out naked on the toilet. <laughs> so, yeah, it would have been bad. It would have been me with headphones and listening to myself in a car. Probably shit myself because I died and spilled coffee everywhere because I had coffee in one hand. Whew. Not the way you want to go. Rough way to go, for sure. Uh, so I had an idea for the podcast at the end of this month. Tell me what you think. Movie review. I like it. Okay. Not the movie review. Not the movie review you're thinking about doing that we've talked about earlier. I'm talking about an actual movie review. Yeah, I'm down for an actual movie review. 
Okay, because I want to see the uh, um, Jordan Peele's Nope, because the trailers look so bad for it. But I saw a full-length trailer when I went to see uh, Jurassic Park in theaters last weekend, and mm-hmm. it actually looks like a kind of interesting movie. I haven't seen any of Jordan Peele's movies. You haven't seen uh, Get Out? Nope. Oh, that's the only one I've seen. I heard the... I, I think this is the third one that he's made. I heard the other one wasn't as good. But Get Out was um, pretty decent. I thought it was overhyped because people went crazy about it, but it was pretty decent of a movie. Yeah. No, I haven't been an avid moviegoer for a minute. COVID kind of... Mm. As it does. Away a little bit of that. Yeah, I didn't have um, them open for a while, and then there just really hadn't been anything I've like been dying to see. You know what I mean? I understand. I've been trying to get back into watching some of the movies. I saw um, Top Gun and the Jurassic Park, but other than that, I, I actually I'm um, I don't know. Once every month, month and a half, I've been going, so I've been back into it kinda. Oh, but it's been people it. like asking me to go for stuff besides i wanted to see jurassic park just to finish out the shitty trilogy they had right but like top gun somebody asked me to go with them is it any good it's as good as the first one just older makes sense yeah yeah a lot older tom cruise in this one we've been spending our time out doing stuff like bowling did a little bit of paintballing a bit back that kind of stuff it's been pretty fun, actually. Uh, I am not trying to judge, but neither of you seem like good bowlers. Am I right or wrong on that? I am not good at bowling. She is not good at bowling either, <laughs> if that's what you're getting at. Now, what, what do y'all kind of average when y'all are not good at bowling together? Like low hundred. Oh, okay. That's not bad. I, I just know I have a friend that's terrible at bowling. He's bowling about an 80. Oh, rough. Yeah. yeah, he's in the... He's a smart person, but he's in the Rain Man type of category when it comes to bowling, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to see. It's just rough. It's rough to see a man not be able to figure out the physics of take ball, roll ball. Ball hit pin. Ball hit pin, yeah. That's the last Success. part you can't really figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's rough. Is he 80 with the bumpers on? Uh, he does not put the bunkers on. We actually, so when I got out of high school, we thought it would be fun to go to a uh, local bowling alley. And it was a group of four of us, and we were in a bowling league. And he is so bad. Like, 80 might be generous in how bad he is. How but that the bad? way I, you just bowl a gutter i i don't know i guess it's just hand-eye coordination i don't really understand how you could be that bad the form was terrible just i don't i don't know man dude's just awful just naturally awful some people have it some people don't he's like a hall of fame member of doesn't understand how to bowl but we went to a um bowling alley joined a bowling league and it was four of us now the way it worked was your score was determined based off of your handicap so we were easily the worst people there. We were the only people showing up that didn't have like custom bowls or custom bowling balls, like bags and shit like that, and custom shoes. Right. Oh, and like team shirts matching attire. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so we're easily the worst people there. The best people on our team are the worst people on anybody else's team. But because it works off of your handicap, the best bowler there by far was our worst person. He was the best person because like his handicap was like that of like a three-year-old infant trying to bowl. So if he would bowl like a 40, like the handicap would push him up to where he just bowled like a 270, something like that. Because it was adding so many extra points for him. What kind of handicap works that way? Uh, it works to try even out the score a little bit because you're like so bad. Now, 270 is a little bit generous. It was He was bowling in like 240, something like that. Like something really, really good. Which all the best people were bowling like low 200s because nobody was professional there. But he was easily the best person. Wait, why did he get this handicap? Did every team get it? Yeah, every team got it. It it made it, it like evened it out a little bit to make everyone a little bit more even. I don't understand why they do it like this, but we still came in last. So it was an effective method, but we didn't come in dead last every time. Because it basically made it to where like they set it up a couple matches to where they would set a handicap and then you basically would if you did better than you typically did your score would be a lot higher if you did worse then your score would be a lot lower so you're basically playing against yourself in a way i guess oh because there was people there that were like way too good yeah so i guess they have set up this method so that like two teams didn't win every single game did it work to that end no two teams won every single time because they were much better bowlers than everybody else but but we ain't coming last you just break something uh yeah no not really <laughs> i was fucking around with a wire hanger and it mm-hmm. spasmed and hit the desk ah okay rearranged my desk a little bit it's time to put that bad boy down I am surprised that uh, that other podcast I was telling you about has any views whatsoever. It is so bad. I did. There is a uh, little NBA trade that happened in the meantime of us being mm-hmm. off from the last one. And did another one. So, so bad. It's just me walking back in my back, like, towards the pond area on a trail. Speaking on life and sports. Just, yep, just speaking on sports into a, uh iPhone mic. Like the little headphone mic thing. Damn. It's awful. Yeah, it sounds pretty bad. I'd listen. Yeah. I don't think you would. I don't think you like sports that much. Give me the deets. I'll listen. I'll hear no, it. I'll get I'll give you the deets when I've on like the fiftieth episode if it's still going. I think it's good practice though for uh just IO like just speaking, to be honest with you, especially working from home, like Yeah. I would like to get better at what we're doing here with this and if that helps then that helps i have no wish to improve because i am already perfect actually damn i would like to improve on some of the things that i say and the uh s noise i hate the little wisp noise that i make i haven't even noticed it i'll be honest you make a little wisp noise it's like a snake yeah yeah like a little snake Snakey little snake. I probably just noticed it because I hear myself all the time. 
True. But I don't know. What What do you think on this? Do you think the majority of people hate hearing their their self, like, like talk they, and everything like that? They would have to, I would imagine. Because I know because, how I sound right now, and I know when I go back to listen to this episode, I'm gonna just be pissed the whole time. But everybody thinks they can sing in the shower. That's the thing. Do they? I mean, I you sound so. different to yourself than when you hear yourself. Yeah. So I guess just mentally, everybody believes that they have like a amazing voice. And then if you actually hear the audio, that's when you're like, I hate, I hate that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I would still have to see a poll on that, but yeah, I could I could believe it. Now I would love uh to set up. You were saying what type of pictures would we post or anything like that. I could send you a couple of examples. I think. I, I guess I'll just go ahead and do it and set up an Instagram and then just post pictures based off the topics that we talk about throughout the podcast. Oh, okay. And that would just be the thing. Cool. Yeah. Like a, little, uh, like a little appendix guide type deal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just a reminder to be like, hey, we uh, we posted a podcast today. Yeah. To our currently zero followers, zero right, listeners, right. but it'll, it'll slowly grow. You never know. It'll get out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One day we'll we'll be the kings of Spotify. Yeah. It, well, it will be weird, yeah. though, because... Go on. We'll have the $100 million Spotify deal. <laughs> Inflation by then will be so bad that $100 million won't do anything. Yeah. I had to spend $2 and, like, something cent on a fucking 16-ounce Coke today. Pissed off. Ugh. I know. I They're like three dollars here, almost. I'm not talking about two liter. I'm talking about like. I a know. Bottle. Oh my god, that's fucking awful. Yeah. What can you do? I forgot what I was going to say. It was something before the uh, being the kings of Spotify. Talking about the Instagram. Mm, something after that. I don't. I don't really remember, but. Oh, I, okay, so uh, I think it's going to be weird when we see our views and stuff throughout the, like, like a year from now, and when people find the podcast and go back and listen to, like, older stuff, oh, probably yeah. just to hear how awful it is, like, that's going to be the strange part. But I don't, I don't know. How do you think uh, major Spotify, like, podcasts start off? Do you think they just pay so much money for advertising? Like, have so much production and pay so much for advertising that that's how they become popular right away no i think it's more like uh i don't know i think it's just kind of word of mouth plus algorithm okay you know what i mean but like because i think the more views you get the more you get promoted and if people are actively enjoying what you're doing they're gonna tell your friend or tell their friends about it and be like hey like you know check this out everybody shares what they see online mm-hmm. so they'll be like hey like check this out this will be cool and then that small bump of views may get you you know put in a certain place like in a discover playlist for someone and then they share it to more people and i think that's kind of how it works i get that i'm just saying i don't understand how that first push works how that first like step kind of goes to getting like the momentum going for something unless you just have like a giant like new york times type of thing 
where you have so many people that you're spreading it to uh, right off the, the get-go? Could be that. Could be uh, just spreading it to a uh, social media type of channel, so being an RA popular type of figure. Yeah, that too. That I mean, that helps a lot. A lot of people knew who guys like Joe Rogan were before he started his. Yeah. And then being featured on other people's podcasts as well, if you're a comedian type of thing. Right. And like for guys like, you know, Burt Kreischer and uh, Tom Segura, like everybody knows them from their stand up. I mean, how many Netflix specials have they had sure. at this point? Bill Burr's the same link. And not just for like comedians, you know, it's for any yeah. of that kind of stuff. True. That's also probably why. Um certain podcast categories such as history are typically a little bit more dead than other ones because there's no real celebrities on those. Right. All right. So let's see. What were we going to get into today? Did you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, yes. I have something I'm dying to talk about, actually. Okay. All right. All right. But hold up. Before we get into that. This episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. We believe healthcare doesn't have to be a pain, expensive, embarrassing, or inconvenient. Members of Blue Chew get access to a medical team trained in diagnosing and treating patients with custom treatments for fuller and longer lasting erections. Our tech, business, and support teams are laser focused on providing access to prescription ED treatments made in the form, flavor, and dosage that are right for you. Side effects may include upset stomach, nausea or indigestion, prolonged and painful erections, flushed face, raying and warming of the face, vision problems including blurred or color tingled vision, or sound loss in one or both eyes. If problems last more than 10 hours or erection lasts more than 10 hours, please see your doctor. That's been Bluetooth at bluetooth.com forward slash do it live. Okay, so today we're going to talk about another one of my favorite battles of all time. This one probably sits at number two. Whereas uh, the Battle of Platea is like number one for funny reasons. This one's number two just because it's uh, it's simply awesome. Okay. So, now on this one, I actually don't know any, any information on the Greeks and Persians. I know a, a decent amount, not right. like specifics on the battle. But if you could fill me in on anything with this one, because I don't right. know anything. So I actually think the precursor to this is kind of like a 200-year time span that is like uh, the Ottoman conquest of Eastern Europe. So for anybody who doesn't know, the Ottoman Empire was a large Islamic empire based out of what is modern-day Turkey, and that is uh, it's pretty much the precursor to the Turkish nation. Except they're a lot bigger and their holdings stretched all the way from Eastern Europe to like near Asia and Northern Africa, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. So where we find ourselves in this battle, the Battle of Vienna, the one that happened in 1683, is we're in the middle of a conflict between the Ottoman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire that is at this point in time and for much of history led by the Austrian Habsburgs. Okay, so the Ottomans in this one have uh, the Wallachia type of vassals. So at this point, they had already beaten up Hungary pretty well. 
Yeah, so and the Austrians some. Yeah, so let me let me set that up for you. So what we like the situation going on, right, is and before this battle, um the really our our main hero of the battle is the king of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth that is kind of mm. kind of exist because of earlier events from the Ottomans and some of these same belligerents. But you have kind of at the center Leopold I, the Holy Roman Emperor, and um, his diplomacy is really what kind of allows what becomes later known as the Holy League to succeed here. So the HRE is losing territory to the Ottomans. Um, In the decades leading up to this, they controlled much of Hungary and have lost control of Hungary, um, as well as regions like Wallachia and Moldavia, which are really a part of uh, current-day Romania. So they're north of the Danube and right by the Carpathian mountain range. They've kind Mm. of become vassal states of the Ottoman Empire. Um, But let me... uh, So let me set it up for you. So really what's going on is the kind of the northern half of historical Hungary, which is a lot larger than modern day Hungary. Um, They're being like kind of secretively backed by the Ottoman Empire. They're uh, influencing a revolt to happen. And so by the time the Ottomans declare war, the the Austrian Habsburgs are dealing with this uh, full-on revolt in their Hungarian land. Uh, so, so at this point, they uh, they own Hungary at this time? Well, the northern half. The uh, southern half is pretty much all completely controlled by the Ottoman Empire. Okay. So it's just that northern half. They're basically trying to loosen... They're trying to loosen Austria's hold on the area because they want to take over it's like been a long for a long time the ottomans are like we need vienna because of uh the roads and routes to the west so that they can Mm -hmm. you know get more trade in and move more supplies back and forth quickly all of that kind of stuff the ottoman empire is definitely like like a lot of ancient empires obsessed with taking over the world and not that the uh habsburgs weren't we just like the Habsburgs better. I'm not sure if I'm on the side of liking the uh, incense Habsburgs better. I like anyone better that fought the Ottoman Empire. They, they're creepy, though. Their portraits are so creepy. Yeah, they had a lot of incest going on. <laughs> so would this be the height of the Ottoman Empire this time? Would it be a little bit um, later when they had control of like um, no. most of the coastline of Egypt? This no, so they already have most of the coastline of Egypt at this point in time. If okay. I if, so, if I I'm, mean, if I'm correct, this is very much the height of the Ottoman Empire, and after this battle, the Ottoman Empire is literally never the same. Yeah, after this, this I of, guess they start getting into the uh, wars with the Russians and constantly losing stuff. Well, this starts their. Uh, decline and string of losses because uh, and we'll get into this when we get into the uh kind of like the fallout after the battle of vienna okay but yeah this is where they start losing so 
while the Ottomans are like getting these revolts going in Hungary, they're like arming Hungarian armies and that kind of stuff. They're also working on building roads and like maintaining supply depots on the way to Vienna so that they can like effectively siege Vienna. And they ended up declaring, this was like their first big mistake. So they ended up declaring war on Leopold I of Austria in, I want to say, March of 83, right? 1683. Mm -hmm. So this gave Leopold I a lot of time to kind of form what would be the Holy League. And the Holy League is really cool because we actually have some interesting countries in it. So we have the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. You have the Habsburg monarchy and the Archduchy of Austria. You have some of Habsburg Hungary. Then you have the Elector of Bavaria. You have Bohemia, which is modern day, like kind of Czech Republic. Franconia, which is uh, close to France, that region of Germany. Um, You have the Swabian Circle, which is kind of right above, right above and to the east of Switzerland Mm -hmm. and Austria. Right Then you have the Duchy of Lorraine, which they actually, through a long line of events, kind of come from the kingdom of Lotharingia, which was uh, descendants of Charlemagne. And it's now, like, I, that's such a far march for them. Did they actually like contribute anything? I feel like they just kind of yeah. sent money. No, they sent like 20,000 troops. Damn. Yeah. And then you have the Saxons. So the hmm. and the Saxons were a little bit weird because they're the only people out of this group that is uh, Protestant. Oh, okay. So but the Saxons were changing to Protestant at this point as well. Oh yeah, right at yeah. that point in history. Mm-hmm. So right. the Saxons are the only Protestants uh, represented here in this battle. So basically, what happens is the Ottomans declare war after they made all their preparations, right? Mm-hmm. Or w- while they're making their preparations, and they don't get to Vienna until August, so they declare in March, don't get there till August, and that gives Leopold I, the emperor, um, plenty of time to like solidify his alliances. And basically, what he does is he makes a deal with the king of Poland, who's the leader of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Um, hey, we're going to be in an alliance if the Ottomans attack. Krakow, we will come and help you. And if the Ottomans attack Vienna, you will come and help us. Right? So that's... Yeah, where, where is Krakow again? At? Krakow is western Poland. So right on kind oh, of like... Oh, yeah, okay. Kind I, of like I know the border this. of Czech and Poland. Mm-hmm. Or current day Czech and Poland. Okay, I have a better uh, sense in my mind now. Mm-hmm. So keep going if they have a uh, alliance, pretty much a World War One type of alliance. Yeah, that's that's what they're setting up, and it's known as the Holy League because it's all about, you know, it's all about uh, the Christians versus the Muslims in this one. This because this whole thing is like really set up. This is all fallout from the Crusades mm-hmm. because back in the 1400s, you had the Battle at Varna which really set the stage for Ottoman expansion into Europe. And this is all fallout really from that, because that was the last time Europe really challenged the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. So and, where uh, did the Ottomans... disaster. Yeah. So where did the Ottomans end up uh, invading at? Vienna. 
Of course. I well, I didn't know. I know that sounds dumb. I just didn't know if it was like they ended up invading at the other spot and then they fucked them up so bad that. <laughs> no. So there was fighting. So there was fighting all over Hungary, but for this battle, like the main for this battle, and because it's it's kind of like the Hundred Years' War, except it was longer than a hundred years, where it's not you can't really define like where England or France invaded, because it's such a long time and there are so many. Mm distinct points this is just one of those points this is like the uh the crescendo the ending okay so this is towards i mean if it's the crescendo then this is kind of like towards the very end of the war type of thing yes this is the last major battle of the war all right so they pull up to vienna how like what are the numbers on both sides what kind of of story going on with them so the Ottoman numbers are somewhere in between, I want to say, it it gets kind of weird because it's like, uh, some of the Ottoman numbers don't get counted in the battle because a lot of people, like, refuse to help them in the battle when it happened. The like Ottoman the Ottomans? Like, they're little vassals and stuff. Oh, Okay. Right. So the Ottomans, like their army marching at Vienna and kind of in the Hungarian region and the Balkans region behind them, um, mm. numbered it somewhere around 400,000. But as far as forces taking place in the battle, I think it was a little over 150,000, whereas on the Holy on the Holy League side, you had around 80,000. <clears> but anyway, okay. so... They set up a deal with Poland, and then the emperor also rallies some of the forces from the Holy Roman Empire. Obviously, he can't get everyone. That's why you only hear about seven or eight countries. And these guys are all, you know, even Austria, they're all much smaller than the Ottoman Empire. The only Mm -hmm. one land-wise that's probably on par, but much more sparsely populated, is the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And they Yeah, but the population was like nowhere near as much. Oh no, not nearly as dense as the Ottoman Empire, no. So he has to make a deal. Not only does he have to be like, hey, if they attack your city, we'll come for you. If they attack our city, you'll come for us. Um, he also had to set up like paying the Polish army because um kind of the hero of our battle here today, uh John the Third Sobieski, the king of Poland who's like mm-hmm. a sick dude like he's fucking cool um he's like dude i like you're not gonna make me march all the way to vienna and like not pay for any of my army like what the what the heck is going on so they come to a deal where basically while they're in his territory in the polish lithuanian commonwealth he'll pay for his army as soon as they cross over into like as soon as they cross the danube they're being paid for by the holy Roman empire that's some fucked up shit. That, that is yeah. expensive as hell. Uh, very. I mean, I guess you have to take the deal, but I, I don't know. I feel like that ruins all the type of alliances once the war's over. No, they had they had to take the deal. So the Polish are on their way. The rest of the empire's on the way, right? And the emperor actually flees Vienna with like his uh, with like sixty thousand people. They what just like they get out of Vienna. Well. It's actually not a bad idea to do that. And he starts, uh, you know, like talking to the Pope, trying to find 
money and troops and all that kind of stuff from all over. They asked the French to come, and the French were like, mm, nah, we don't really like you that much. So while all that's going on, the king of Poland prepares a relief expedition from Polish forces, and then he also has the Lithuanian forces coming behind him. So he starts setting out for Vienna, because it's like clear that the Ottomans are, you know, coming there, there, that kind of thing. The mm-hmm. Ottomans start sieging, or they're on their way. They begin their siege of Vienna. It lasts for two months. And so on the siege, the numbers we have inside are 15,000 men, and those guys are, re- are led by uh, Starnberg. Starnberg. How, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation. <laughs> but... So 15,000 men led by Starnberg, and they have like 140 guns. And uh, the Ottoman Empire deploys 150,000 troops. So before the Ottoman troops get there, like in defense of the city, um, they literally just like their palisade, their wall was so deteriorated that they literally just like cut down trees and uh, were like, shoving them into the ground in between the wall and like everything else and they also there's like yeah yeah so they're and they like clear out all of the buildings in front of the city to um give their guns like a good chance to just like mow down ottoman troops right and and so when i say guns here i specifically mean cannons because there were Mm -hmm. like uh muskets and archibest archiblast however you say that those were being used as well, but like traditionally, when you talk about guns in these kinds of battles, what it means is like artillery, battery, cannons. Okay, that makes sense at this time period. I don't know when. I would assume it would be probably about more fifty more years or so before they would actually start getting uh, uh maybe a little bit less than that, maybe thirty more years before they actually started getting some musket fights. What time period is uh Napoleon? Seven, oh, Napoleon's, late seventeen hundreds. Yeah, yeah, never mind. So, so another hundred years. Yeah, that would be another hundred years. Uh, they were using them. Wait, I I'm so iffy on when they started using actual muskets on major land battles because I know the Ottomans were like one of the first ones really to have infantry well, they were using type of things. In these, I'm saying in larger numbers. Oh yeah, I'm not sure. I'll say probably thirty-ish more years. Yeah. Something like that. So as the king of Poland's leaving and the emperor's gathering his forces from the north, right? All of that stuff's still going on in Hungary. And the king of Poland, and like it's because the Ottoman involvement in it is like kind of secretive. It's seen as two different really kind of conflicts. But obviously they're like on the same side. So as the king of Poland's leaving Poland, he literally empties out Poland of its armies. Like every he single state's everything. Yeah, he's bringing everything with him. Um, And he's like kind of the hero of the story. So he's emptying out Poland. He tells the Hungarian rebels, he's like, hey, we're leaving with everyone. (laughs) If you fuck with my country, I'm going to come back and destroy you. And the Hungarians are like, yeah, whatever, dude, like whatever. And he leaves, (laughs) goes past them. And they're like, guys, there's no one in Poland. We're raiding Poland. And that seems like a good idea. Until they realized that the Lithuanian military had been like lagging behind. So the Lithuanian military never makes it to the Battle of Vienna because they are (laughs) fucking up the Hungarians. 
Oh, I mean, can you turn that down? Like, nobody's defending it. You see the whole army's marching. Even the king's like, bro, don't do it. Yeah. Like, it's such a honeypot. <laughs> it turned out really badly for them. <laughs> Where are the losses on that? Do you know anything on the numbers that the, like, not, how many people would die during that? Not for the Hungarian-Lithuanian thing. I know the Lithuanians devastated the Hungarians. Oh, my God. That fucking <laughs> sucks for them. They're like, I got you. We caught you. Oh, yeah. my God. So that's what's kind of going on in Poland while the king and all the king's men are gone. The siege is going on for two months. And basically the way this siege is going is the Ottomans are trying to break into the walls. So they're using like miners to dig under the walls to set black powder barrels to like blow sections out of the walls. And this is like kind of working sometimes. Like there are sections blown in the yeah. walls. They just don't have like a big enough thing to really run in there without like losing most of their force, right? Yeah, I love. So they, and the defenders are fighting back and forth for two months. The defenders are on their last leg when Charles V of Lorraine arrives with his twenty thousand men. He arrives. I love hearing stories about um. What was what it they refer to it as? Uh, sapping? Yeah, sapping. Yeah, like that is the craziest shit to come up with that. And they were doing it back in like antiquity like era. Like to have miners go and try to dig underneath to uh, like hurt the walls. But I found out recently that typically when they would have like a breach like that or like anything go right with the walls to Indrome wasn't really to have like a giant breach like you would imagine from like video games type of thing it was more like just that section of the wall is now unusable for like defenders and stuff like that yeah but that was way before the what they would do with kegs of uh gunpowder i have no idea how explosive that would be right so we're up to july 17th right so they declared the war in march we're up to july 17th that's the day siege operations start right now i also am assuming that the uh, ottomans carried around that giant cannon that they used uh, for the siege of constantinople just everywhere like it's as not, a showpiece it's not mentioned that's maybe they did but it is uh it is not mentioned so we're up to july go on right July seven or July seventeenth, siege operations start. So they're actually sieging Vienna, blowing holes in the wall, all that kind of stuff. Um, it was so bad inside the city that Starenberg ordered any soldier found asleep to be shot on guard, just at any point. Yeah, if you were sleeping on watch, you would be shot. Okay, okay, okay. That that's not too uncommon during certain periods for some militaries. Right. So then the Duke of Lorraine, Charles, arrives about three miles northwest of Vienna. And keep in mind, he's only got 20,000 troops, so he can't, like, contest the Ottomans there, right? Mm -hmm. So then September 6th, the siege has been going on for two months. We're getting towards the end. We're in September now. September 6th, the Poles finally cross the Danube. They're 19 miles northwest of Vienna. And they, in night... They unite with all of uh, the imperial forces, which are Saxony, Bavaria, Baden, Franconia, and Swabia. And okay. so, now, how many people are uh, we talking about with Poland? 
Poland had about 23,000, but the league's forces in total was about 80. Okay, so we're up to about 100,000 versus like 150,000 Ottomans or so? No, we're up to about 80,000 versus 150,000 Ottomans. Oh, okay. So almost double. They start going in, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens, the way they uh, deploy the army is they kind of deploy in three areas. You have, first, when they got there, lit a bunch of um, bonfires on the mountains kind of above Vienna. And so they actually snuck out a Polish diplomat who is fluent in Turkish. Mm-hmm. They sent him to like get behind the Turks and like go talk to them and uh, <laughs> like be like, hey, this is when we need to do like a joint attack because Starnberg's like we're fucking coming out of the city one way, one way or another. It's getting desperate in here, right? Yeah. So this battle started at 4 a.m. Right. Okay, hold up, hold up, though, hold up. So okay. they send the spy to behind them to talk right, to the... Right, outside of Turkish lines. No, oh, to, to go, oh, oh, okay, to go talk to the alliance to find out a time to, like, yeah, reconvene so this, and, like, set up for a battle. Right, this Polish guy who could speak Turkish managed okay. to sneak his way out of Vienna. It makes way more sense. When you were originally describing it, I didn't catch the part where you were saying he was going to meet up with the other people i thought he was just going to find out what was going on in the ottomans camp no i was like how is that really going to help anything no obviously before the battle was a uh there was a big mass right and the mass was actually held by um the religious advisor to the holy roman emperor which was just like kind of a cool factoid that that's the dude who did the mass so Charles of Lorraine's kind of the first one to make a move because the Ottomans are trying to disrupt the uh, counterattack by this relief force. They start getting into uh, heavy fighting with the Ottomans and were able to take key positions, some fortified villages. And by noon, the Imperial Army had almost like made a breakthrough of the Ottoman forces that were sent to like kind of disrupt their uh thing the ottoman army by the time by the time the world's largest cavalry charge ever happens by the time that happens the ottoman army is like already you know faced like a lot of setbacks was that in this battle considered the um largest cavalry charge yeah so when um and i'll talk about that when we get there i'm just like that was just exciting i know (laughs) yeah the largest cavalry charge ever so in like later on in the afternoon the polish infantry advanced on the ottomans from the right whereas lorraine was on the left and by around 4 p.m they had taken another village so this put the ottomans in a desperate position they were between polish and imperial forces and then like without being able to talk to each other um charles of lorraine and John Sobieski, the king of Poland, both, like, went on a counter-attack, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, like, read this verbatim because this part is really cool. Um, but before I do, let me talk kind of about the cavalry because you have, like, the coolest cavalry ever. And we'll have to we'll have to try and throw some pictures up over the audio on this because um, you have the winged hussars. And basically it's like a knight with, like, big attached like wings on his back like they did these kind of like 
hook wing type deals that came off the back of their breastplates. Mm-hmm. They had like 20 foot lances, right? And this is like, these guys are the centerpiece of the counterattack, is the wing Tussars. So they look cool as fuck. They have a cool ass name. And they're about to take like the center stage of this battle, right? Because you pretty much stuck between Vienna, Charles and his forces, and Poland and their forces. You have the uh, the whole Ottoman army, like everything that's left. Now, do you think those are cooler hussars than uh, Ditton and the uh, Teutonic Order, or the Prussians have hussars? Which one is it? Teutonic? That was the famous one. No, I think it's the polish that are the famous one well i know the polish are famous but i think the uh, teutonic have like a specific color scheme they're slightly different than the polish oh, they might have I'll, I'll have to look into that because i don't know but they might have okay but yeah i do like out of all of the uh cavalry these guys 100 percent are the coolest yeah in, i mean they're opinion. They're probably the most famous that I could think of, besides like uh, like cavalry, besides maybe like Mongolian horse archers type of thing, or right, cataphracts. So yeah, that's probably, but cataphracts is more generic. That's not very specific to one yeah. little thing. Well, until the uh, Polish hussars, the winged ones, um, mm-hmm. hussars were pretty generic, like of an Eastern unit. Yeah, that is true as well. But the Polish uh, reformed their hussars into like a heavy cavalry because it was like a light kind of scout cavalry until the Polish reformed them. I've never understood, like I hadn't seen enough videos and stuff to see the effectiveness of it, but the lance just does not seem like an effective thing to use. I mean, think about driving a car like 30 miles an hour and poking something with a sharp stick. Just feels like I would be able to see that sharp (laughs) stick. A lot better. I guess when you have a massive group of it, it makes sense, but... Right. I don't know. I, I would rather have the uh, typical cavalry sword <laughs> instead of the gigantic they lance. I just, so, they had the lance... Oh, so they had it, like, on their side? The, yeah, uh, swords lance as well? is kind of, like, your first thing, and then okay. that'll eventually break, and you pull out, like, a maul or a, a cavalry sword or an axe. Okay. Yeah, these guys sense. were decked out. They would have, like, three or four weapons. So, if you want to go on to the um, continue the battle, where you yeah. at? Yeah. All right. Let me get this kind of verbatim because it sets the scene really well and it's cool. So, it's said that the Polish cavalry slowly emerged from the forest to like the infantry going wild and like cheering for them, right? <laughs> They're like being useless. Yeah. The boys are here. The boys are ready. It's a. It's about to get crazy. So. Mm-hmm. 6 p.m. rolls around. Polish King John III Sobieski orders the cavalry to attack in four groups. Three from Poland and one from the Holy Roman Empire. So 18,000 horsemen charge down the hills. Largest cavalry charge in history. John III Sobieski led the charge. So the king's in front. At the head of all of his winged hussars. Right? Mm-hmm. So this cavalry charge hit and it completely just breaks the Ottoman lines and routes it. Like this is the end of the battle. The cavalry charge is it straight up ends the battle. Like hit them so hard, they headed straight for the Ottoman leader, Mustafa 
his headquarters. And while all of this is going on, you have charges from the infantry and the Vienna's, Viennese garrison rallies out and comes and joins the assault as well. This whole thing, right, like this battle's been going on all day. The Ottomans are defeated in less than three hours when this cavalry charge happens. Damn. And it's crazy it's, that the Indian have to flank or anything. They just went straight through the front front lines, I assume. Yeah. And just routed them. No, they crushed them with this cavalry charge. Damn. Louis William Margrave of Bonin was like one of the first Allied troops to enter Vienna. Like they had won back the city, right? And then mm-hmm. John Sobieski delivers like one of the sickest lines I've ever heard. Like a leader delivering a situation like this. It'll sound kind of familiar, and then I'll tell you the translation. So he said, Venomous, Venomous, Deus Visate, which is uh, kind of a paraphrase from Julius Caesar when he crossed, uh, what was it, the Tiber? Yeah, he came back into um, Rome. Rome, and he said, I came, I, or, I, came, I saw, I conquered. Mm-hmm. What John Sobieski said translates into, we came, we saw, God conquered. That's pretty good. That's the third best quote of that I've heard. That's a sick-ass line to deliver when you just fucked, like, 50,000 dudes up. I mean, the original is probably better. And then, personally, I like the uh, pit bull of the, uh, I saw, I conquered, I came. But that one's pretty good, too. So, uh... That one's... Go on. Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, who is he giving the speech to? Like, is he getting on top of the walls and giving it to people? Or just everybody kind of crowds into the city? Yeah, everybody just, like, kind of crowds in. Um, The Polish get, because of, like, everything they did, the Polish get, like, most of the loot from the Ottoman camp. And that was, like, a big part of how they got paid. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, apparently he just, like, was in a group or whatever and ended up saying that. And that's, like, a hard-ass thing to say no that's a baller move especially after you win yeah yeah so Starenberg, the uh, leader of vienna like the guy who's in control of the defense um allegedly like grabbed sobieski and was like hugging him and kissing him and being like holy shit dude you're like our savior we're so glad you're here (laughs) right and he's Um, like get the fuck off me bro Right, and so now I'll talk a a little bit about kind of like the fallout from this. So this defeat was like momentous that even like uh, Iran, who was like having problems with the Ottomans on the other side of the Ottomans, right, didn't like Mm -hmm. them that much. They were like, holy shit. Did you say Iran? Yeah, Iran. So you mean like Persia at the time? Mm-hmm. Okay. They were like, dude. Maybe we should attack the Ottomans. <laughs> right? Like this. So you have that stuff going on. It leads to the complete, almost complete reconquest of Hungary, I think, except for like some small provinces of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Ottomans never again expanded into Europe. John Sobieski got, what are they called? Do, do, do. A constellation named after him, right? Oh, okay, okay. And the Pope, right? um, The Pope commemorated like a whole religious holiday um, from the Blessed Virgin, like uh, Hmm. the feast of the Holy Name of Mary, which was only celebrated in Spain and Naples until then. 
until then. Uh-huh. As well as he added the Polish crowned white eagle to the flag of the papal states. The Polish king was also at this point granted the actual title of defender of the faith or defensor fidei, which is sick as shit. Yeah. And uh, the Austrians erected a church for him. And then there were a couple of culinary things that happened. So they believe that um, the cappuccino actually came from this because Franciscan Marco Diavano, yeah. the guy who actually gave mass before the battle, the advisor to the uh, Holy Roman Emperor, mm-hmm. um, he's what the cappuccino was named after. <laughs> I thought I thought the cappuccino was named after uh, certain monks. I thought it was named after the uh, yeah 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 the uh, cap. Capuchin Order of the Friars monks? of Minor Capuchin. He was yeah. One. Oh, okay. Now, see, I had always heard that story that they were named after the monks. I just assumed that the monks were like chilling in Italy and just bored making coffee all day. No, they stole a bunch of coffee from the Ottoman camp mm. and like made a new coffee drink where they mixed it with sugar and steamed milk. It's also and that's crazy. how. Crazy at that time period that they had the technology. I guess it's pretty easy to just boil some fucking milk, but yeah, but that's it's just weird. That that's the first thing I throw in. That's and pretty cool. Also, the croissant. I I read that. I was confused by that. That doesn't make sense. That seems French. Um. So it is not. Um. Apparently, you <laughs> only see well. It's believed that croissants take off so big in France when Marie Antoinette is queen. Mm. But Marie Antoinette is from Vienna. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Because she's a uh, Hasburg? Yeah. Is she? She might be. Actually, let me... That makes sense. That is... That also makes sense that she she would be part of uh, culinary stuff. Yeah. Because she was tubby. Mm-hmm. Well, but yeah, so that's uh, <clears throat> that's kind of the fallout of that. The Ottomans completely lose Hungary. They're never the same again. Like it's a huge moment for you know the Europeans. Yeah. It's a, it's like really a big win for them, and uh, it's just a really cool battle because so much stuff is going on. That's like hard. right before, right before, because um, the Ottomans were about to do one last breach on the walls but the uh defenders so the ottomans were digging tunnels to lay barrels of gunpowder to blow up the walls the defenders were digging tunnels to find their barrels of gunpowder kill the dudes around them and like bring them back into the city before they could blow them up what the fuck (laughs) dude it's so it's so sick everything that happens was so cool that's very cool. So, how long did it exactly last? Like, uh, from March to September, possibly? So, yeah, pretty how much from March when the siege was two months from July oh, to September. It's not even that bad. I think that general was kind of being a puss to not be able to keep his people. Well, they had, they had cut food completely off from Vienna. Mm. There was no way in or out. Vienna's a uh, river city, right? Like they have a large river going through it? They might. I don't actually know. I don't think so. 
I thought they did. I thought they were on some type of river, but if they don't, I could see how it would be pretty easy, especially when you have the numbers that like the um Cause it's Ottomans up kind would have of for that. The mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like so the Crimean Khanate, they were basically like we're not fighting for you here. The Valachians, Vol- uh, they switched sides. I think it was later on when they really lost, like the um, Russians started trying to interfere with those countries as well, because I think they go to another war to try to get back Wallachia after this. I think they lose that one as well. Yeah. No, this is uh, the end of Ottoman supremacy in the region. Yeah. In any region, really. Yeah, but I mean, they really stepped out the military in the um, like Europe and everything because they had so much better trained than everybody else. Everybody had to kind of step up to the level that they were putting it to. Right, right, which is uh, really kind of what happened here. You know, you had the professional hussars and cavalrymen. Mm-hmm. Really, the professionalism in Europe really started ticking up in these uh, because we're I. I think at that point we're kind of out of the medieval era. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, what either... would they consider out of the medieval era? They could kind of just consider that like the uh, Renaissance, right? But I mean, even then, like the uh, military, military isn't really a ton better. I mean, I guess the countries and everything are starting to get a bear grasp on it's, getting more people. It starts ramping up pretty quickly around that point in time. Because yeah. then you have stuff like the Prussians popping up, and they were big for professionalism, and obviously the French and English and Spanish start getting real professional armies. I guess the Hundred Years' War would have helped out with that as well, but I don't know. Yeah, the English and the French are weird during that time period. I think it's a little bit past the Renaissance, because you would have to get past the Hundred Years' War before they really mm-hmm. start to up it, and past the uh, War of the Roses. But yeah, somewhere after that... Oh, I... I guess really once colonialism kind of hits, that's really when the countries get like have the means with global trading to really have a long-standing army. Yeah. But all right, that was pretty good. Um, we just did two history things, so next week we might do it one more and then do one of just RAM stuff. We might do a lot more history stuff. I kind of enjoy the history topics. I'll try to do one. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. They're fun when you can really, like, get into something. Yeah. So, I don't know what branch this podcast is really going to go down, but... Yeah. That was some good shit. Probably the one where we have the most fun. Definitely the one where we have the most fun. Unless we can sell our souls for $50 a podcast. True, true. Quickly, before we go, though... (laughs) Let me go oh. over casualties. Okay. So the casualties for the Ottoman side during the siege and battle, um, 35,000 dudes with about 10,000 captured. So 45,000 troops. Yeah. Okay. On the Holy League side, we had 20,000 total. Damn. And that includes dead or wounded. A lot. I mean, well, I guess it's not as bad, but still, it's a lot of it's a lot of dudes. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually not most of. So actually, during the battle, uh huh, 
they only lost 8,000 guys. Most of their casualties come from the siege. Yeah, I mean, typically most of the casualties do come from the siege of just uh, starving people, fucking killing each other, crime and disease, a lot of disease. Yeah, but for the Ottomans, it's not quite the same because they lost about 20,000. During the siege? During the siege and the battle. Damn. Yeah, they were getting smoke-checked pretty hard. (laughs) But you have to remember, so by the time that battle happens, right, because they Mm -hmm. stopped counting the casualties during the battle, Vienna started with 15,000 troops garrisoned. They lost 12,000. Damn. So they were... It was close. They were on their last leg. <laughs> I've always heard that like uh, any type of smugglers during any siege, they just become kings. Oh, I like I've heard shit goes. I've heard shit gets wild. Like food just becomes gold. All valuables are out the window. People are trading at insane rates because supply, uh, supply and demand just gets insane immediately. And then it's whoever can hoard the most and just defend it is who becomes rich enough to make it through. Yeah. And then another actually little fun fact about the whole thing, um, because our good guys are not the best guys during this battle, but I like them way more than I like the Ottomans. Actually, the uh, Saxons ended up just leaving after the battle and not looting anything. Okay. Because remember... They were the only Protestants. Um, when they got into Vienna, the like citizens like started mocking them and calling them stuff like gay. And they were like, <laughs> fuck this, dude. We're out of here. This sucks. They were probably talking like before the battle, and they're like, guys, like, we'll just stay a little bit behind. Don't make it obvious. Like, just we don't have to die here. Fuck them. Nobody yeah. likes them. <laughs> We didn't. They probably found out about that deal where the Polish were getting paid to be there, and they're like, "What the fuck, dude?" Oh no, everybody no? got paid to be there. Oh, um, everybody got paid to be there. Yeah. They, so they funded this whole like campaign, kind of. They asked mm-hmm. the Pope for money, and the Pope was like, "Defending Christendom, yeah, we'll give you money. We'll give you a lot of money, right?" Mm-hmm. So they got a lot of money from the Pope. Austria itself had to take out like tons and tons of loans for this, as well as like just wealthy austrian bankers like believed in the cause and were like okay here's some money here's some money save my house Mm -hmm. we still want to be in power after this that makes sense that was cool that was a subject that i really didn't know that much about i know the general like overlay of the austrians and the Habsburgs and the ottomans and everything like that but i don't know much about specific battles that happened throughout that time period except maybe like the siege of malta yeah which was another uh wait that was an ottoman loss wasn't it yeah that was an ottoman loss as well that was the knights of Rhodes, wasn't it that was the knights of malta i believe but weren't they they may have been given roads it may have they may have been like possibly by the same it's been a long time since I've yeah, me too. updated on that information. We'll have I, to look into that. That might be an episode later. Yeah. The podcast just becomes me dancing on autumn and losses. 
we need i i wouldn't be mad if we just did a uh, little series on the ottomans and just went through and yeah that would be really cool actually just scanned right. over some of the wins and then go straight to like their losses as much as i like hate the ottoman empire for uh butchering my beautiful little boy they are they are cool the beautiful little boys the uh byzantines by the way for the listeners that actually Sweet. went longer than I thought it was going to go, so you ready to about call it quits? Yeah, I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. I'm sweating. I got heated up. <laughs> I, I got into up. I was, get the fuck out of here. Go play with your kids. Goddamn, stop being a piece of shit. <laughs>